Lucky Land Slots, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Exchange Traded Fridays. It's a weekly roundup of markets and ETF news brought to you by ETF.com, where the leading publication covering ETF industry. My name is Sean Alaka, I'm editor-in-chief here, and with me are my colleagues, market analyst Samit Roy. Say hello, Roy. Hey, everyone. And managing editor, Heather Bell. Hi, guys. Welcome to both of you. Good morning, guys. So let's, let's dive right in with the big news of the morning, which is obviously the release of the Consumer Price Index, which we actually held back taping of the episode to make sure we waited for the news to drop this morning and the data was not so good. Prices rose pretty rapidly in May and higher than most analysts expected at at 8.6%. And a lot of U.S. um, benchmarks posted some of their biggest declines in almost a month yesterday um, as investors were kind of getting ready for, for the release of this data. And maybe they were right to be worried. They kind of had it, they had it spot on, took some risk off the table. As this data is expected, um, it'll help determine what the Fed is going to do with interest rate increases for the rest of the year. So, Samit, let's maybe start with you. I'm interested to hear what, you know, looking at the headlines is one thing, which is it's the biggest increase since 1981 or something. But maybe you can parse parse it down a little bit and parse down the data. What what does this data mean for for the macro environment and and for investors? Yeah, sure, Sean. So... I found the inflation data to be pretty interesting. It kind of does throw a wrench into the whole inflation is peaking narrative, but it leaves just enough hope that maybe the worst of inflation is getting close. I'll get I'll go over the numbers really quickly. The headline CPI increased 1% from April to May, and the core CPI increased by 0.6% from April to May. Both of those were bigger than expected. Then on a year-over-year basis, like you said, Sean, the headline CPA, CPI sorry, increased 8.6%, accelerating from the 8.3% we saw in April, and it was even more than the 8.5% we saw in March. So now headline CPI is growing at its fastest pace since 1981. On the other hand, the core CPI grew 6% year-over-year in May, And that was down from 6.2% in April and down from 6.5% in March. So you can see why I said there was just a little bit of a silver lining within an otherwise very negative uh, report with regard to inflation. The core CPI decelerating on a year-over-year basis for a second straight month is that hope. But if you look at the internals of the report, things don't look good, even putting aside the fact that food prices grew more than 10% year-on-year in May, their fastest pace in 41 years. You have car prices going up again, you have rent prices accelerating, and you have airline fares absolutely skyrocketing up 38% from last year. None of this is going to change the fact that consumers continue to suffer from inflation and the Fed is going to keep hitting the brakes on the economy with uh, interest rate hikes. 
And as I speak, that's being reflected in the markets. The two-year Treasury bond yield is up 13 basis points to 2.95%. That matches the high we saw in 2018 during the Fed's last rate hiking cycle. If we move any higher than this, if we get above 3% on the two-year, that's something we haven't seen since 2007. The 10-year yield is up a bit less. It's up seven basis points right now to around 3.1%. That's a little less than the high we saw last month, which was 3.15 or so. With the 10-year up less than the two-year, you're seeing a little bit of a flattening in the yield curve, which is usually a sign of economic concerns within the bond market. The good thing is the 10-year, two-year two-year part of the curve hasn't inverted like we saw back in April. So maybe there's a bit more confidence that the economy can weather these rate hikes. But it's, it's awfully close. The, the difference between the 10-year and the two-year, only about 15 basis points. Uh, but all in all, this report doesn't necessarily change anything. Investors, they're still hoping that inflation is going to peak. And there are forward-looking indicators out there that suggest inflation could start to come down. We've seen an improvement in the supply chains. We've seen inventory levels being really high and Target and Walmart said they're going to start slashing prices. But we haven't seen strong evidence of that yet in the CPI. Maybe we'll see it in future CPI reports. So Heather, Sean, what's your take? Any, anything about this report surprise you? Not really. I, I mean, I was hoping it would mitigate a little bit, but I wasn't shocked that it didn't, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree with you. I mean, it's exactly kind of what investors didn't want to hear right now, right? I mean, consumer confidence has already been sinking all year. Um, you know, families are just shouldering, you know, higher prices. Um, you know, so it's not great. I mean, both, I think, the, the, the food, the increase in the prices of food is, is certainly scary. You know, when families are having trouble affording staples like, you know, eggs and, and, and dairy and things at the supermarket. I mean, obviously that goes back to some of the geopolitical things and, and what's happening in Ukraine right now and the, and the supply chain for, for food, especially meat. And the same goes for, I think, the price of gas that we're seeing because of that um, that conflict with, with Europe, um, expecting major shortages. And even in the U.S., prices here are obviously exploding um, really at, at the wrong time with the busy summer travel months ahead. So it's it's worse. And, you know, getting ready for the podcast, I read a couple articles from some economists. I mean, there's increasing worry about the reset, about recession possible in the next year. And obviously we dodged that, that bear market uh, denotation a few weeks back, although we hit it, I guess, in the intraday trading. But um, we're still hovering, you know, awfully close, so. You know, it's, it's, it's volatile times out there for investors, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it is unfortunate, Sean. And the issue is the Fed, all it can do is slow the economy down in aggregate. But with food prices and energy prices surging, the Fed can't do anything to bring on more supply. That's, that's the problem, right? All these geopolitical factors that are constraining food and energy supply, the Fed can't do anything about that. They could only bring demand down by it slowing the economy down. So it's, it's a tough situation. Yeah. And I don't know. I kind of was thinking, too, like maybe just after the, the massive bull, you know, run that we've seen over the last, I mean, I guess more than a decade, um, you know, maybe a little bit of a larger pullback, you know, might be a, a healthy expectation for some investors. You know, we'll have to wait and see what happens. 
largely, but I mean, with the geopolitical events, historically, you know, inflation matching records from 40-something years ago, um, it's a scary time. And I think investors would be right to, to be a bit cautious and, and maybe heading to bonds. I mean, there's not even a lot of cover. Um, I, I really a safe haven when inflation is this high, right, Smee? I mean, where, where can you even go? No safe havens. The bond market has been hit hard this year, just like the stock market. I think uh, the AGG is down something like 8%, 9%, something like that. Worst year on record, basically, for the aggregate bond index. So, yeah, there hasn't been a safe haven, but I think some people are starting to talk about how there might be value in the bond market now with interest sure. rates at 3%. You're actually getting paid a decent yield versus, you know, it was 1% or less for the last couple of years. So I think the bond market, yeah, it hasn't been a safe haven, but I think it'll be more of a safe haven going forward. Unless you think interest rates are going to spike to 5%, 6%, then it's a different story. But if you think the high in interest rates is going to be around 3%, maybe 4% max, then there's not that much downside in bonds and they are and then they become a hedge right if we do get an inflation a, a, a deep recession or something like that then you can expect eventually the fed's going to change its tune and interest rates are going to go down and bonds will rally so i think value is starting to come back into bonds interesting any other thoughts heather on on the inflation i don't want to keep being a, a Debbie Downer here on our, on our podcast, but there was some pretty <laughs> grim outlook. Well, uh, Kathy Wood seemed to think that we could still extricate her, extricate ourselves from the possibility of recession. Um, she believed that, uh, she mentioned in her interview, um, I think that I was, that I covered um, earlier, um, yeah. she had said that purchasing managers had overbought or uh, stocked up exceptionally high and that we would start to see discounts. I think we already mentioned that. So maybe we could avert it. I don't know. Um, Also, I apologize for the barking dog. I'm watching an elderly border collie who does not like being closed up. Oh, no. Well, there's no problem there. We always like having guests here on Extreme Street Friday. So let's... So I guess let's shift gears a bit to, um, and, and we'll start with you, Heather, too, to the other big news of the week, which is some incremental movements um, in the long ongoing saga of the crypto, of the Bitcoin ETF and cryptocurrency legislation, et cetera, et cetera, with some, a couple U.S. senators, I think it was Gillibrand uh, and, and, and Loomis, Cynthia Loomis, introduced some, some pretty sweeping plan, big, big plans for um, for crypto, which you know would I think, um, as you reported, Heather would 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 classify it as as a commodity, which was something that was up in the air for a very long time. People had no idea what which asset class this kind of fell into, or was it its own asset class? How do we regulate it? And uh, that has some repercussions for some for some crypto investors. So maybe you could take us through some of the happenings of the week. Um, it, really, just the legislation kind of looks like it's going to identify um, cryptocurrencies as commodity, which um, rather than just securities. And I think that provides a certain amount of um, definition and clarity and might, you know, induce people who otherwise consider cryptocurrency. um, It might induce them to actually 
invest or buy cryptocurrency just because there's clarity. Whereas before, I mean, hasn't there been a lot of confusion over how they should be treated for tax purposes and stuff like that? Sumit, I think you know more about this than I do. Yeah, one thing I found interesting in the bill is uh, cryptocurrency gains of more than 200 or less than $200, sorry, wouldn't be required to be reported to the IRS. So that's something interesting, especially for those people who think that cryptocurrencies should be used um, to make transactions or they want to use cryptocurrencies to buy things. Obviously, that was an obstacle in the way, right? If every time you bought something, you had to pay taxes on your Bitcoin gains, that's going to stop you from using that as a currency. So this bill presumably would enable Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies to be used to buy things because you're not paying taxes every time you're making a purchase. Um, of course, a lot of bills are proposed and not, not a lot of them become law. So it remains to be seen whether anything comes of this. Uh, and a lot of that might actually depend on the elections in November and the makeup of Congress and things like that. So interesting stuff, but I think we'll have to wait and see whether this actually becomes law. Yeah, I mean, this, these regulators are moved, you know, it's like turning the Titanic sometimes, obviously, with a lot of these regulations I don't foresee. And I don't think a lot of people foresee any movement in, in terms of allowing um, any of these new products, uh, you know, spot Bitcoin. ETS that the, the proposals are, are in front of the SEC right now for them to be approved um, anytime soon. Certainly not this year, maybe next, is some of uh, the expectations. I, I thought it was interesting, too, and I, I don't know how much you might know about this, me, but did, if it is, and obviously this is a, just a potential that have having, but what does it mean for it to be classified as a commodity so that it falls under the CFTC and not the SEC. Is, are there any implications there? Or how, what does that mean for, for the SEC? I mean, that's a, that's a good question, right? And it's, it'd be something very significant, I think, removing you know, cryptocurrencies from the purview of the SEC. But I think even within the bill, it said if something is a security, it would still fall under the SEC. And a lot of crypto tokens still have characteristics of securities. Obviously, Bitcoin, people are largely in agreement that isn't a security. That's more like a commodity. Um, arguably, Ether is like that, too. But many crypto uh, assets do act like securities. And I would assume that even if this bill were to become law, the SEC would still regulate those. So mm -hmm. I don't know how much you know yeah. necessarily would change that. I, 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 I'd agree, too. I mean, if, and especially if you use it as an ETF. I mean, you have to get, obviously, go through the SEC. So, yeah, I'm not sure. What it's, it's just, it's also murky, so still. Um, and, you know, so, but the, the one that has one of the better chances, you might say, of getting the Bitcoin ETF through is, is Grayscale, or their trust conversion, right? Um, which we saw some movement this week, too. I think you wrote about it, meet. Um, about their being pretty hopeful about possibly getting that through. And um, I don't know, maybe you could just talk us through that, some of your reporting there before we wrap up. Sure. I, I sat in on this talk with Dave Laval. He's the head of ETFs for Grayscale last week in Florida and inside ETFs. And he, he is hopeful, of course. You know, they're in the midst of trying to convert the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, GBTC, into an ETF. And they started that process 
back in October, and then that set off a 240-day review and comment period. That ends on July 6th, and the SEC will have to make a decision on whether to allow GBTC to become an ETF by then. And, um, you know, Dave was hopeful because, you know, the SEC has taken steps in that direction. They've approved a Bitcoin futures ETF last October. And he kept saying how the Bitcoin and the spot, the Bitcoin spot market and the Bitcoin futures market, they were inextricably linked. And if you're going to allow one type of Bitcoin ETF, you might as well allow the other, especially since he believes and a lot of people believe a spot ETF is just a superior product. So it makes no sense to have a futures one out there when you can have a better product out there. One interesting thing he said was that all the concerns the SEC has about the Bitcoin market, it not being transparent, there not being surveillance sharing agreements between exchanges. Well, that's also the case with many fixed income markets, yet that hasn't stopped the SEC from approving hundreds of fixed income ETFs. Of course, that's not an argument that's going to win over the SEC, but I did see some truth to that argument. Dave also talked about how GBTC becoming an ETF would be extremely beneficial for people invested in that fund, as obviously it would allow creations and redemptions and in his words, overnight, that fund would trade at par. Last I checked, GBTC was trading at a 30% discount. So that would be a big increase in the price of the fund if, if it were to happen. Though I do wonder if the fact that GBTC is trading at such a big discount means that the market believes that the SEC won't allow the conversion. Because if there was a good chance that the SEC would give the green light, you'd think people would start buying GBTC and that discount would close a bit. Um, but, you know, if the SEC rejects Grayscale's proposal, I don't think it's gonna, that company is just going to sit idly by. There was news earlier this week that the company hired a pretty high-powered lawyer to potentially fight the SEC. Did you guys read about that? Yeah, I saw it. I think it was a former... Um, former lawyer for the some branch of the government. I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head. I think the Obama uh, administration, right? Yeah, yeah. I thought it was interesting when I read that because it was like, you know, I read your reporting about how the company's kind of hopeful and everything's going, you know, swimmingly here and we we're expecting an, an approval soon. And But then they're also preparing for the worst and for maybe a long kind of drawn out fight with the SEC. Certainly lawsuits are going to be filed. Um it's another step in the drama. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think your point or the, the point that you brought up about the, about the um, futures ETFs in the spot, I mean, I had, on a panel in Florida last week, some of, the, some of the panelists were talking about it, and they said, why would you allow, um, not allow a spot when you're allowing um, a futures-based product, which is you know, probably a bit riskier you know, you know, traditionally for investors than, you know, than the spot products? Um, so it, 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 to him, it was just kind of perplexing, you know, that, that, and, and almost like a cop out to just kind of use the futures, but not the spot when the idea is to, is obviously to promote investor protection. I mean, that's a mantra of the SEC and yet they're allowing what some might consider a riskier way of trading, um, Bitcoin and not allowing just kind of the spot. So yeah. yeah, there's a there's a lot of points, um, a lot of good points either way. I thought another interesting uh, point that we brought up is that Gensler 
was actually a professor at, um, at MIT, I believe, and he taught a, a few courses in cryptocurrency. So when he came on, a lot of people were pretty um, were expecting that there might be some movement towards Bitcoin because he's kind of, you know, he knows it, the space very well. He's a believer in the technology and that, you know, that seems to not have, have come, come to fruition. It seems that the, the SEC is pretty stuck, um, you know, have their heels in the ground where they're, they're not probably going to move anytime soon on a, on a spot product. So, yeah, there's some, there's interesting stuff. It's another, um, another step in, in, in the long kind of, kind of trek to, to get this Bitcoin ETF here in the States. Um, I don't know. We're falling well behind the rest of the world, but we'll see what, we'll see what happens. Any other thoughts before we wrap up? I think we went over quite a bit. I was just thinking that maybe um, the legislation that's been proposed uh, could advance the idea of a physical Bitcoin ETF simply because putting more definition around it might give the SEC a little more uh, comfort with the idea of a physical Bitcoin ETF. But we'll see how that plays out. Sure. Yeah, I mean, as, you know, as the, as the more regulation, and as you said, Heather, the more clarity that we get around these, around Bitcoin should probably have, you know, have regulators become a little bit more comfortable with the idea of allowing that, um, allowing some of these products, you know, to go out to the public. Again, we shall see. Um, it doesn't look too promising in the near future, but it's, uh, we've all been surprised before from regulators. So I guess we'll leave it there. Um, thanks, for everyone, for listening to Exchange Traded Fridays from ETF.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.